Good morning, Central. So I've had the opportunity to meet some of you, but for those of you that don't know who I am, uh, my name is Chelsea Jasky. I am the youth director here at Central. Um, I've been the youth director now for just over six, six or seven months, uh, but we've been attending Central for about two years or so. So um, this is kind of um, an emotional full circle moment for me because I remember about two years ago when we first started attending here, um, I was in a really challenging season of my life, and one of the first few times we came, I was sitting over here, and I was just, you know, praying for God for guidance, and I remember just this overwhelming feeling of him telling me, you are home. Like, you found your church home here. Trust me. Trust me through this challenging season because I have greater plans for you. And then now I stand up here not only as the youth director, but able to just share with you guys the message that God has been laying on my heart lately. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that you guys can maybe take just a sliver of that peace that I experienced two years ago, whether you've been attending Central forever or whether you just walked through the doors for the first time. Um, I just pray and hope that you can find just one sliver of peace, one sliver of rest. So with that, um, we are in week two of our series, Armor Bears. And so if you've missed what that means, uh, Armor Bear, as the name implies, is someone who is, takes or carries another warrior's weapons into battle for him. Um, and so you might have recognized that Pastor Ryan has not been up on this stage the last couple of weeks. And so we, some of his staff and some others, have been kind of his armor bearers through this season while he prepares for one of our most important seasons as a church, which is the holiday Christmas season. Um, and so we're in week two of this, and what we're going to talk about today is rest. Because heaven knows, I think we all could use a little bit more rest in our lives, especially with everything that's going on. Uh, we are going to be looking at Mark chapter 6, but we are going to be bouncing around a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, that's going to be our main point, um, but we'll have the verses up on the screen as well. So first of all, just to get started, um, I know we're sick and tired of talking about COVID. I get it. Uh, but let's rewind to just a couple years ago um, when COVID wasn't even a thought in our minds, okay? So like you guys, I like to check up on my family. I like to see, you know, how my friends and family are doing. And so the typical way to check up on them is to ask, whether in person or through phone or text, hey, how are you? And so a couple years ago, right, um, if I were to ask that question to friends and family, the responses I would typically get were, I'm good, how are you, right? Like that autopilot response. You'd always get that one friend or person that goes into every detail about their last three months of their lives that actually thinks you want to hear their life story. Um, but then the other most common response that I would get is, oh, I'm busy, or oh, I'm stressed out, or the one that I always hear is, oh, I'm tired. I'm tired, I'm busy, I'm stressed. Now, fast forward or kind of rewind a little bit to just a few months ago in the middle of this pandemic when our doors were shutting down and we were physically being forced to stay inside and rest. As I continue to ask people questions, hey, how are you? It was a lot less I'm busy because they weren't really busy anymore if they weren't going to their jobs or taking their kids to sports, but what I still heard was I'm stressed and I'm tired. I'm stressed and I'm tired. And I got to thinking, what is it about rest that we don't understand? In a world where we are physically being forced to rest, how do we not know how to do it? There's gotta be something deeper, God, about really truly experiencing the rest that you know is important for us. Because whether you've been a Christian your entire life or whether you're not a Christian, you know, we all know the importance of rest. Scientists tell us we need at least eight hours of sleep at night. We need seasons of rest. 
So why is it so hard for us to truly rest? So we're going to talk about that today, and I'm going to make four different points about rest that hopefully will help you think about rest in a different light, but more so to help us so we can experience rest more consistently in our everyday lives. The first point that I want to make that maybe you um, have never thought about rest this way is that rest is natural. Rest is natural. And what I mean by that is that I think sometimes we think of rest as being like this elusive goal, right? We're always striving to get more sleep or more time away. And we think that it's just so far distant, it's like this ultra reality that we can't attain. It'd be like, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could truly feel restful all the time? But that's just not realistic. But the truth of the matter is, is that rest is built into the fabric of our being. It is built into our DNA. Genesis chapter 2 is where a lot of uh, pastors will recite if, when we're talking about rest, because Genesis chapter 2 is the creation story. More specifically, uh, the beginning of Genesis 2 is the seventh day of creation, which we all know God saw what he created was good, and so on the seventh day he rested, right? And so we point to that and we say, well, if God, the creator of the universe, needed rest, how much more do we as imperfect humans need rest? But what I also think is that this verse points to the fact that rest is built into creation. Not only was it an event that God did to rest from his work, just something he did to, to rest, but that he built it into the seventh day of creation. And I think that God knew that us, again, as imperfect humans, we weren't going to get it unless it was built into us, unless it was built into the creation of the world. As I continued to study this a little bit further, what I found was interesting is that we as humans, when God created us, Adam and Eve, we were created in a state of rest. If we look at Genesis 2, verse 7, this is the creation of Adam. It says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Adam was created first. It said God formed a man from the dust of the ground. He was formed first in a state of rest before God breathed life into his nostrils. And then if we move ahead a little bit, the creation of Eve. I think this one's a little bit more familiar. Uh, Genesis 2, 21 to 22. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. He caused Adam to return to his natural state of rest in order to create woman. Now, could God have snapped his fingers and created man and woman? Absolutely he could have. But I think, again, he knew that we needed to understand, we needed to have that rest built into us in order to fully experience what that means and what that feels like. And what's interesting, too, is that um, I want to point out with this particular text is, you know, God creates, or God does his best work when we are at rest. We are God's most precious creation, and yet he created us out of rest. God does his best work when we are at, re when we are at rest. Think about it like a surgeon. Think of the top brain surgeon in the world. The only way that he is able to do his job to his full capacity is if his patient is completely at rest. How hard would it be for a brain surgeon to do his work if the patient was awake and feeling everything and looking around and seeing everything going on around him? It would be nearly impossible for him to do his best work. And 
I think that's what God wants to whisper to our souls too is that, look, I want to do amazing works through you, but I need you to understand, I need you to return to that natural state of rest that I created you to be in order for me to do that. You know, rest, the definition of rest is simply, if you look up any sort of Greek, Hebrew, English version, um, it's to cease, desist, or abstain from any sort of activity or movement. So it's basically to stop movement. And what this definition in and of itself implies is that the natural state of us and of things is rest. It's just the movement that causes it to get out of rest. Think about a merry-go-round. As a kid, I loved to go on merry-go-rounds. Nowadays, you probably couldn't pay me enough to get on a contraption that forces you to throw up. Um, anyways, a merry-go-round, right? In its natural state, when there's no kids playing on it, no wind, it is still. It's at rest. It's only when you get a playground full of children that get on it and start spinning it around in circles that it becomes out of rest. It has movement to it. But how do you stop that merry-go-round? How do you return that merry-go-round to rest? All you simply have to do is put out your hand, grab one of the bars, and stop that movement. And I truly believe that rest can be that simple for us in our lives if we start to understand and we start to think about rest as being our natural state instead of this elusive goal that we have to try to attain and get more of on a daily basis. So rest is natural. Um, oh, and I want to point out too, so Pastor Ryan a couple weeks ago uh, read Matthew 11, 28 through 30, and he read the message version. And I want to revisit that because there's one section in here that I think goes so beautifully with this idea that rest is natural. So Matthew 11, 28 to 30, again, this is the message ver or version. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And the section that I love in here, it says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Grace, peace, rest, those characteristics of Jesus Christ is unforced. They're easy, they're natural if we allow it to be, and if we know where to put our attention and our focus. So rest is natural. The second point that I want to make about rest is that rest is more about being than about doing. So I want to take a poll, but I want to set this up a little bit. Um, so my husband, if he is stressed out or just needs to take his mind off something, he is a doer. So what I mean by that is he like starts new projects, he cleans out the garage, he does the dishes, he does the laundry, whatever it is. He likes to do stuff to take his mind off things. And of course, as a wife, I'm very appreciative of that. Um, but me, on the other hand, when I'm stressed out or just need to take my mind off something, I am what I like to call a vegger. I don't know if that's a word, but it's going to be this morning. I like to sit my butt on the couch, turn on Netflix, and binge watch Netflix until I fall asleep on the couch. So just to, I want to quick take a poll. How many of you guys are doers? So in order to get your mind off something, you like to like keep busy and keep your mind and do stuff. Oh, amen to you guys. I don't think this, if the world were full of people like me, I don't think we'd get anything accomplished. So thank you. How many of you guys are vegers like me? Just like to sit, not think about anything. Yeah. So regardless of kind of which camp you fall into, I was thinking about this, and I, I, when we think about rest, I think often we think about it as an event, right? We work, we work Monday through Friday, that's our work time, and then our weekend is our rest time. 
and then we do it all over again. Monday through Friday we work, and then our weekends are rest time. And so, and then whether or not we rest by doing or whether or not we rest by watching Netflix, it's like we still have in our minds that rest is mutually exclusive to our everyday activities. It's like those two can't overlap. And so somewhere down the line, we've confused rest as being an activity, rest as being something we have to do, we have to add to our calendars. And I don't blame us for thinking that way because unfortunately our culture, especially in America, you know, we do, we think of rest as a liability. We've been so conditioned to think this way that it's hard for us not to. And somewhere down the line too, we've also like thought this idea of unrest, of being tired, we wear it as a badge of honor. I don't know about you, but I've had conversations with people before where I'll be like, hey, how are you? Oh man, I'm tired. I stayed up till 11 o'clock last night. I was busy till 11 o'clock. And then the person I'm talking to will be like, 11? Well, I stayed up till two, so I'm tired. It's like, where, why do we wear tiredness as a badge of honor? Where do we say that, oh, it's better to be more tired than someone else? And you know, even in a corporate culture or corporate structure, and I get that not all businesses are like this, but a lot are, if you want to take a rest, if you want to take a break, you have to put in your request off. You have to take time off. So even the language we use like signifies this idea that rest is something we do rather than rest as being being. And yet, I think that we've all experienced tiny moments of rest in the middle of our doing. So what I mean by that is just the other day, you know, I was driving home, long, busy day, and it was right when the sun was setting, and I looked off to my left, and it was just this beautiful open field with the sun setting. And just for a tiny sliver of time, I felt this exhale, this sense of peace, this sense of rest. And it might have only been for a few seconds, but it was there. And I think we've all experienced those moments at a time or two. Again, even if it's only for a slight moment of time. Mamas, I don't know, I can relate to this because I have a four-year-old at home, but maybe it's that point where the kids are finally in bed and the house is just so quiet you can hear a pin drop. And you get that sense of, ah, finally. Right? It's those tiny moments of rest in between the activities of our daily lives. So rest can be found in the in-between moments of our everyday activities. You know, rest can be found in our vacations, in our naps, in our weekends, in those events, but they are not mutually exclusive to those. We can find rest in the in-between moments of our everyday activities. Psalm 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. God doesn't say do still. He doesn't say go away so that you can be still. He just says be. Be still and know that I am God. Find rest. Be still. And so the more that we can think about this and understand this as rest of being instead of doing, the more that we can be restful, the more that we can experience God and Jesus on a daily basis. And just like we said, you know, the more that we can be restful, the more that God can work through us and do his best work to the people around us. Now, I got to put myself kind of back in these seats for a second because I can imagine some of you might be like, great, Chelsea, I get it. Okay, rest is natural. It's built into the fabric of our DNA. We need to experience more rest on a daily basis. We need to be restful. But how? How, right? How do we be more restful on a daily basis? 
And I think, again, going back to the conditioning of our culture, it's hard for us to understand what rest is. And so I think it's sometimes helpful to define what maybe rest is not. Uh, so I mentioned I'm a youth director, which means that I teach teenagers on a weekly basis, meaning I have to get creative in ways to keep them engaged. So for just a second, you guys are going to have to put up with my teaching style, um, and I'm going to ask for some audience participation. So I just want to hear from you guys, and you can just shout them out at me, some words that are, mean the opposite of rest to you. So things that mean the opposite of rest. Busy, excellent. Any other ones? Stressed, good. Busy, stressed. Work, good. Any other ones? Worry. Worry. Fear. Anxiety. Overwhelm. Exhaustion. Right? I think we all would agree that when we're feeling busy, stressed, tired, overwhelmed, work to the bone, we're not feeling restful. And so I want you guys, as we kind of, we're going to get into our Bible story here, but I want you to think of these words. Um, think of exhaustion, tiredness, these words that mean the opposite of rest, because you'll recognize and see that the disciples were feeling these feelings of unrest. And I think it's helpful that when we can put ourselves in the place of some of the characters in the Bible, the words just become so much more alive to us, and we can start to feel that it's something that we can relate to our everyday lives and not just something that happened thousands of years ago. And so we're going to look again, like I said, at Mark chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 45. Um, we're looking at verses 45 to 51. And this is a passage that a lot of you might be familiar with because this is where Jesus walks on water. Now, a lot of pastors, again, will look to this passage when we talk about faith. Because within this passage, um, Jesus walks out on the water to the disciples in the boat, and he invites Peter, one of the disciples in the boat, to walk out on the water with him. And so in faith, Peter is able to walk out on the water, but he has a moment of doubt. And in his moment of doubt, he starts to sink. And then Jesus reaches out his hand and rescues him and says, Peter, you have little faith. Why do you doubt me? And so it's an awesome passage to talk about faith, but again, we're talking about rest today. And so we're actually going to look not at that moment, but we're going to look at the small moment that happens right before that. And in fact, we're looking at Mark's version, which actually doesn't even include Peter's description of walking out on the water, or the description of Peter walking out on the water. And I'm doing this intentionally because I think when we sometimes know these stories or we focus on the miracles or the big events that we know of, we can miss some of the small details. We can miss the fruit of some of those small things that happened before. And I wasn't, this wasn't even in my notes, but I want to say this. Is I think sometimes in our life, too, we, when we focus so much on the miracles, when we want God to work in miraculous ways in our life, and that's where we put our attention and our focus, we sometimes miss the small, everyday miracles that happen before. So we're going to look again at Mark 6.45. Um, and I want to say, this is right after another really common story that maybe you guys have heard of. So this is, takes place right after the feeding of the 5,000. Is everybody familiar with the feeding of the 5,000? Uh, so this is where, you know, Jesus with five loaves of bread and two fish feed 5,000 men um, plus women and children. And so we know this because the text says immediately, in Mark 6.45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go out ahead of him to Bethsaida, where he dismissed the crowd. So 
We have him. He just got done with this incredible event, feeding the 5,000, and immediately he makes his disciples get into the boat. Now, here's how I kind of picture this whole scene taking place. Um, how many of you guys have been to an awesome concert, like your favorite artist or band performance? Okay, so think about that time. Um, the crowd is into it. It was an amazing performance, one of the best you've ever seen. They do their last set. They take their bow, and they're walking off stage, and the crowd is cheering. What typically happens at that point if the performance was absolutely incredible? If, if, the perform if the artist walks off stage, typically if the crowd wants more, they'll shout encore, right? Encore, encore, we want more, we don't want this to end. And so then the artist will maybe come back on stage and do more because they've prepared for that. Well, this is kind of how I picture this scene going, right? We have Jesus who does this incredible miracle, lives are being saved. And the, now the people are like, well, now we're not even hungry. Now we're ready to sit here and watch more miracles. Jesus, more, encore, encore. And yet, what do we see that he does? It says immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat while he dismissed the crowd. And then right after this, verse 46, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. What we see here is that this is a beautiful example of Jesus prioritizing rest and prayer. When the world is shouting at him more, 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 he knows the importance of rest and prayer. And so regardless of the world shouting more, he chooses that. He focuses on rest and prayer. So moving on to verse 47. Uh, it says, later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So we have Jesus up on the mountainside praying, and we have these disciples who we know that the winds are against them. They're struggling, and they're straining at the oars, and they're only halfway through the, uh, the lake at this point. And I want to stop for a second because how many of you guys have ever felt this way? Felt that you're just straining at the oars, that you're just trying and struggling, that the wind, the world is against you. And that no matter what happens, it just seems like the cards are not falling in your favor. I think we've all had experiences a time or two we just feel like the world is against us. I mean, the disciples at this point in time are probably feeling the exact same way. They've been oaring and rowing all night long, and they've made no progress whatsoever. The wind's been against them. And I can imagine them being like, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? You're the one that sent us out here in the lake in the first place. Why aren't you here with us? They're feeling, again, going back to some of those words that we talked about, the opposite of rest. They're feeling these feelings of unrest. They're feeling the worry. They're feeling the anxiety. They're feeling the exhaustion, the fear, the panic, the terror at this moment in time. They're feeling unrest. And yet, what do we see in verse 48? It says Jesus, it says, or it says he saw the disciples straining at the oars. Jesus saw I'm sure the disciples felt like they were all alone in the middle of this, like, oaring and feeling like everything's against them. And yet, Jesus saw the whole thing take place. He saw them struggling, and he was right there with them, even if he wasn't there physically with them. Now, could he have fixed the situation? Could he have calmed the storms? Could he have given them peace? Yes, of course Jesus could have, but he didn't. He chose to allow those disciples to go through the storm themselves. And I believe that he allowed them to face these feelings of unrest because he wanted them to fully experience what was about to happen next. And I think sometimes in our lives, in order to 
truly experience rest, God allows us to feel unrest. To experience true rest, we must feel what it's like to have unrest. We like to go on vacation um, a couple times a year if we can. And ideally, we like to go to a tropical, warm location in the middle of our brutally cold winters here in Iowa um, to get away. And I love it because, you know, in the middle of the cold winters, when we go to a tropical place like that, you just, you take it all in, right? You enjoy every single moment and all the sun and the warmth. But every time I go on vacation and I get talking to some of the workers, I'm like, gosh, isn't it amazing? Don't you just love waking up every morning here, seeing the sunrise over the ocean, going to bed at the sunset? And you know what all those workers always tell me? They always say, you know, yeah, it was great for a time, but we're just used to it now. I mean, we love like seeing the excitement that you guys have coming here and enjoying it, but we're just so used to it that we kind of forget those awe moments that we had in the beginning. And so I think that God thinks this exact same way. He knows that if we were to truly experience rest 100% of the time, we wouldn't know, we wouldn't really truly fully experience or um, we'd get so used to it that it wouldn't really mean so much to us. He allows us to feel those feelings of unrest so that we can truly experience what it's like to have real rest in Jesus Christ. Now, does it mean that we're, he's, we're gonna not go through storms and struggles in life? Absolutely not. He's gonna allow those and he's gonna be there with us through them, just like he was for the disciples. Even when it feels like we are all alone in the middle of those storms, Jesus sees, he hears, he feels, and he's right there in the middle of those battles with you. Moving on to verse 48, it says, Shortly before dawn, he went out to them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Now I want to stop here for just a second and just dive in, kind of narrow in on one single word here, and that's this word terrified. So this last word terrified. Because the English word is terrified, obviously, but the original Greek word that was used here is terrasso. And what terrasso means is to agitate, to disturb, or to stir up. Another way to put it is to cause inward commotion or to put into motion that which is meant to remain still. Another literal translation of this terrasso word, this terrified word, is to make waters muddy by stirring up the sediment below. So think about a body of water. It can be any body of water that has water and dirt or sand or sediment below. When it's in its natural state of rest, when there's no external circumstances affecting it, the water's clear, it's calm. You can see the distinction between the clear water and the sediment below. But what happens when you add commotion or you stir it up or you add boats or wind or storms to it? That water now gets stirred up, that sediment below gets stirred up and now the water becomes muddy. It's harder to see that distinction between the two and it's harder to see through those clear waters because it's been disturbed. So that's literally what this word terrasso means, is to stir up, to make waters muddy, to disturb. That's translated terrified. These disciples in this moment, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the lake, they were feeling terrified. They were feeling disturbed. They were letting their circumstances, they were letting the anxiety and the fear and the exhaustion and the overwhelm get stirred up within them that what happened? They couldn't even see the miracle in front of them. 
their brains were so hazy, their waters were so muddy that they couldn't see that it was Jesus, their Savior, walking out to them. All they saw was a ghost because they were allowing those circumstances, they were allowing their feelings to cause them to see unclearly. And so the third point that I want to make is that if we truly want to experience rest, we have got to refuse to let our external circumstances determine our internal perspective. We've got to stop letting the storms of our lives, the chaos of the world around us, the elections, the pandemics, the illnesses, those hard real life storms stir us up to the point that we can't see the miracles right in front of us. Now I get that this is so much easier said than done because there's lots of examples in my life of things that I allow, get, that I let get to me that I know really shouldn't. So for example, um, these are some kind of silly examples of things that I allow to give me anxiety or cause me uncomfortableness um, that really I know shouldn't. So I wanna see if anyone else, I might be putting myself out there, but I wanna see if anyone else has any, or can relate to me at all. So this happened to me actually the other day. Um, walking out of a store without buying anything. Now, I know, so I went into Target the other day, I didn't see what I wanted, and so I walked out of the store, but in that moment where I was walking out of the store and I didn't have anything in my hands, there was this instant of, oh my goodness, what if they think I stole something, right? And it's like, I know I didn't steal anything, but for some reason, I was like, what are they gonna say if, I, if they stop me and they think I stole something and I don't have a receipt? And, and it's like, I let these thoughts kind of go, and in reality, all I did was walk out because I couldn't find what I was looking for. Right? Has anyone else ever experienced that at all? Or what about being in an elevator? I have been in so many elevators in my life, and yet, every time I walk into an elevator with complete strangers, it's still awkward. It's like that awkward silence. It's like you're just waiting and waiting, you know? And by this point, I should be comfortable enough to just not let it get to me, but for some reason, it's still always uncomfortable. And the last one that I want to say is telling someone they have food in their teeth, right? And it's like we all have this like fear of making them feel embarrassed or we don't want to say anything, but yet if we don't say something, then someone else is going to notice it and blah, blah, blah. We get down this kind of rabbit hole of thoughts. And yet all it is is just telling someone they have food in their teeth, right? It's like we get these silly life things that really shouldn't get to us, but we let get to us. And I get that these are kind of some fun examples, but what about the real life examples? because it's a lot different when you're talking about that cancer diagnosis. It's a lot different when you're talking about that death of that loved one that happened way too soon and happened without any reason as to why. It's a whole lot different when we're talking about your child who's making decisions and it just seems like no matter what you do or say, it's they're not getting to them and you know that these decisions could be destructive down the road and you just don't know what to do. It's a whole lot different when you've been fired from your job and you don't know how you're gonna provide for your family. You know, what about these situations? How do we not let these really hard storms get to us? How do we not let fear and anxiety and worry get the best of us in these real hard seasons of life? How can we find rest even in the middle of these? And look, I will never stand up here and pretend to know what some of you have been through because I know that some of the storms that you guys have faced, I will never be able to understand them. But I've been through my fair share of storms in my life and what I do know 
is the promises that Jesus Christ gives us, the promises that he says. Jesus promises that when we look for him, we will find him. Jesus promises to give us rest even in the middle of our storms. Jesus promises to be there with us, to feel that with us. Jesus promises that when we ask for rest, when we ask him to be there in the middle of our storms, that he will be there. Jesus promises to quench our thirsty souls with the water that only he can provide. But we've got to know where and who to look at. If we want to truly experience full rest on this life, in this life, even with those hard things going on around us, we've got to put our attention on the right focal point. John 16, says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Jesus says, I want you to have peace. I created you to have peace. He says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He says, look, I want you to have the peace, but you're gonna experience trials. I'm gonna give you unrest so that you know how to fully experience true rest in me. But listen, those worries, those anxieties, those fears that you have, I already took those with me to the cross. I nailed them to the cross with me and I buried them in the ground where they'll stay forever. You don't have to carry those alone because I've carried them for you. So the fourth point that I want to make is that true rest is found only in Jesus Christ. Only when we focus on our Savior over our storm can we find true rest. Think about a twirling ballerina, right? A ballerina who's just spinning in circles and circles and circles. Now to someone who's not a ballerina, we would look at that and say, how in the world is she not getting dizzy? But what a skilled ballerina knows is that she keeps her eyes on one focal point. And every time she makes a rotation, her eyes directly go back to that single focal point. And that's how she's able to keep her balance. In life, we have got to have our focal point on Jesus Christ. Regardless of the things going around us, we've got to keep our focal point on Jesus and on his promises for our lives. Because the minute that we start to focus on our circumstances and focus on the movement around us is the minute that we get off balance, is the minute that we become dizzy. Mark 6.50 going on. It says, immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. So the disciples, they were terrified. They were letting these emotions and their circumstances around them cause them to feel dizzy, cause them to feel unrest, cause them to not see who it was right in front of them. And Jesus speaks to them and he says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And he climbs into the boat with them and the wind dies down. When we focus our attention on Jesus, he calms our storms. And not only does he calm our storms, but he turns our terror into amazement. The disciples went from being terrified to being amazed because they recognized their Savior. They recognized Jesus Christ. When we focus on Jesus, he turns our fear into faith. He turns our fear into faith when we trust in him. When we focus on him instead of the things going around us, instead of the elections and the pandemic and all those reasons why we have anxiety and fear and worry and exhaustion and anger and confusion. When we focus on our Savior, the rest melts away and we can find true 
rest and peace that God created us to have. So just as a recap, rest is natural. Rest is built into the fabric of our DNA. Rest is about being more than it's about doing. We can find rest in between the small moments of our everyday lives if we know where to look and if we look for them. If we want to experience true rest, we've got to stop allowing our circumstances and our, our external world to determine our internal world. We've got to put our eyes on Jesus. We've got to focus on our Savior more than the storm because true rest is found only in Jesus Christ. The worship team is going to sing a song, and it's just my prayer this morning that even if it was just for a slight moment in time, that you guys have felt just a little moment of rest, that you can experience the true rest that Jesus Christ gives us. And I just pray that as you guys go out this week, that we can be the rest that God created us to be and to find those true moments of rest in between our everyday activities.